Great to be in the house this morning. Trust that you've had a great week. Uh, a few black armbands after last night's performance um, that John mentioned, of course. Uh, but we can hold our heads high after uh, Friday night, 78-0. It's a reasonable score. Um, but the test comes next Saturday, of course. This morning I want to talk about uh, breath. Do you or someone you know have difficulty breathing, asthma, other health-related issues? And if so, then you'll know what a terrible sight it is to see someone struggling for air, to see them gasping for breath, knowing that not to have it is, has serious consequences. You know, I don't suffer from any such condition, praise God, but I do recall a time when breathing was made difficult for me. We were out diving in Whadafifi uh, at uh, Spot X. No, I don't have the GPS coordinates handy, guys. <laughs> but we were out diving, and uh, we were actually dragging the anchor to try and find some new rocks, which is what we do occasionally. And on this occasion, the anchor hooked up, and I was nominated to uh, be the guy to go over the side. So I, you know, obviously jumped in, started swimming down the anchor rope, and about 20 feet from the bottom, all I can see are feelers and legs, just everywhere. A ledge that ran for probably 130 metres, and there were just crayfish on top of it, in it, underneath it. They were just everywhere. So obviously I... Uh, selected a few choice specimens and put them in my catch bag, looked at my gauge, 200, time to head to the top. And as I started to ascend, I see a horse. It's like ginormous. And naturally, I say, yes. Yes, I've got to have that crayfish. So dropped my catch bag, swam down, got in position, sized it up, Gotcha. Got a great hold on the bottom of its horns, wasn't going anywhere. Pulled back out of its hole and suddenly my regulator ripped out of my mouth. As I'd gone forward, my regulator hose had gone round a rock. As I pulled back, the regulator stayed there and I went backwards holding on to this donkey of a crayfish. I, I obviously did the big arm sweep and, and recovered my uh, regulator and some composure. Not a lot, I've got to say. And then after a few deep breaths, I descended to the floor, grabbed my catch bag and took another deep breath before going up. The fact is that when I took a deep breath, it was extremely hard to breathe because the 200, when I looked at my gauge, had become zero, naught, nada, Nothing, you have nowhere, you're at 60 feet, <laughs> and you're holding on to a horse. What are you going to do? Well, long story short, I kicked my way to the top. Uh, I, I popped out, and 60 feet doesn't sound long, but let me tell you that it's a long way when you can see the water up there, the bottom down there, and nothing in between. 20 meters, 60 feet, seems like an eternity. But I made it up, you'll be glad to know. 
I see some people down there going, <laughs> so I made it up. I sucked in huge breaths as I popped to the surface, and I can tell you that I've never appreciated the air that we breathe and the life that we live so much as I did at that moment. And that brings me to the title of my message today, The Breath of Life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you. We thank you, Lord, for this time together. We thank you for this fellowship. And Lord, I just pray Isaiah 55, 11, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth that shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. Lord, this morning, I just pray that as your word goes forth, it touches the places that you intend it to touch, that our hearts and minds, that we are receptive to the word that you send forth and that it does achieve your purpose in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Interesting, isn't it, that this uh, message has been on my heart for some time and I've had no discussion with the worship team and the last song they sing is about breathe on us, the breath of life. It's about God's jigsaw. It's about him putting in place all of those things that impact us so greatly. You know, the breath of life, beside blood, breath is the other key ingredient essential to sustain human life. No breath, no life. In Genesis 2 and verse 7, the Bible tells us that the Lord formed man of the dust of the earth and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. You see, God had already made man. He'd formed him from the dust. He had everything he needed. He had a brain, lungs, heart, liver, spleen. Cecil can give me the rest of the list. But he had everything that he needed in terms of being man. The one thing he didn't have, and it's, it's contained in the verse, it says that God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Man was, he just wasn't living. Without the breath of life and without God's breath in his nostrils, man was little more than a whole heap of wonderfully and fearfully made body parts. Just another exhibit for a wax museum or maybe a wetter workshops model. God's amazing and ultimate creation needed the breath of life to move forward, to be able to function in what was then a perfect world, to be able to exercise dominion over the whole earth and carry out God's will. In fact, to live. Unfortunately, we no longer have that perfect world. Sadly, Eden is long since gone, but the message is still clear today. More than ever, we still need the breath of life to be fulfilled, to move forward, to achieve all that God has purpose for our lives, and to truly live. I'm not referring to mere oxygen, the air that we breathe, believer and non-believer alike. No, I'm referring specifically to the true breath of life. The Hebrew word most often used to describe the breath of life is ruach, which can also be used to describe wind, spirit, air, or breath. The same word is also widely interpreted and used to describe the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament and refers specifically to Him in relation to the term breath of life. Again, in Ezekiel 37, the story of the Valley of Dry Bones, we see that the Lord told Ezekiel in verse 6, that he would put sinews and flesh and skin on the bones. But again, just as it had been with the creation of man, only when 
the Ruach, the breath of life, the Spirit of God entered, then they would live. The result would be at the end of that verse, the end of verse 6, then you shall know that I am Lord. You see, it wasn't enough that the Lord put skin and bones and sinews together. What they needed was the breath of life. And only through that breath of life would they see that it was the work of the Lord. The presence of the Holy Spirit. That's what signals that you're set apart. You know, all creation came into being when God spoke. He spoke the heavens and earth and all things into being. John 1 and verse 3 tells us, All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made. We are told that the Bible is the inspired, God-breathed word of God. 2 Timothy 3 and verse 16 tells us, All scripture is given by inspiration of God. Interestingly, the word for inspiration used here in the Greek is threos neustos. Theo meaning God and neo meaning breathe out. The Holy Spirit directing and inspiring the writers. That's why it's the inspired word of God. The act of speaking requires that air be exhaled as we speak. So when God spoke, the Holy Spirit, the true breath of life, made it happen. It was through His power that everything was done. In Zechariah 4 and verse 6, God tells Zerubbabel, Not by might, nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. In Genesis 1 and verse 2, the Holy Spirit hovered over the surface of the waters. He's been there from the dawn of creation, and He's always been fulfilling God's kingdom purpose, the third person of the Holy Trinity. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came upon specific people for specific purposes as God determined. He was the breath of life who empowered ordinary people and often seemingly inadequate people and ill-equipped people to do amazing, supernatural, and impossible feats in God's name. Take Moses. Moses was an 80-year-old sheep herder, an exiled murderer who, under the power of God's Holy Spirit, took the Word of God to the most powerful person on the planet at that time, Pharaoh. And he demanded that Pharaoh let God's people go. God's people who'd been captive in Egypt for 430 years, slaves and oppressed. Now Moses was a man who by his own admission had difficulty speaking, was probably a stutterer. In his own words in Exodus 4 and verse 10, he told God, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. And God said, you're kidding me, Moses. I never knew that. Heck, I couldn't possibly ask you to do this then. What was I thinking? Sheesh, don't worry about it. I'll find someone much better equipped, someone skilled, someone who has the perfect CV for this job, and I know a degree in public speaking will be good. No, he didn't say that. No, he, he did not say that. But how often have you and I shied away from God's call to serve? How often have you shied away from the things that God asked you to do for him, to walk in his will, his way, in his time? I look back and think of times when I may have let doubt, fear, uncertainty, a host of other enemy-driven excuses keep me from doing His will. See if any of these ring a bell with you. Too busy, too tired, not good enough, not equipped, no time, no experience, there's always someone better. 
you know, the list goes on and on. And if any of that rings a bell with you, then take heart. You're not alone. But just like he had for Moses, God has the perfect plan for your life. You know, one of my favorite verses of Scripture is Jeremiah 29, 11, and it tells us in that verse, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for good and not for evil, to give you hope and a future. You know, before I go on, I want to point out that this is one of the most quoted of Scriptures in the entire Bible when people want to refer to hope and future. However, what's seldom quoted and probably less acknowledged are the following two verses, Jeremiah 29.12 and Jeremiah 29.13. And they say this, In those days, that's these days, when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. You know, the truth here is that we have a part to play, or should I say pray. You want hope and future that God has planned for you? Then pray, because He promises that He will listen. The second prerequisite tells us to seek God, not in some casual, I wonder if God's around today kind of way, but wholeheartedly, earnestly, without ceasing, fervently, placing Him first, and in faith, believing. The point is that Moses' view of things was based on his understanding, his experience, his wisdom, but he never factored in the breath of life, the Holy Spirit, who would enable and empower him to fulfill God's will for him and to free the whole nation of Israel. The word our friends... Sorry, technology again. The world, our friends, people in our community should all know that we are set apart for God's purpose, that the Holy Spirit lives in each and every one of us, just as he did in individuals in the Old Testament. Oh, they might not know why we are different, but they should recognize that we are. And just a tip, we are in the world and not of it. A friend of ours who'd been a Christian for decades tells the story of of many of her friends, associates, fellow Christians who went into the hotels, the bars, some 30 years ago on the premise that they were seeking the salvation of the unsaved patrons. As she tells the story, they keep going to the pub, but no one's coming to the Lord. And that can be so true for us. We can be involved in things that are pleasurable, and we can make excuses, and we can spiritualize them and Christianize them and say we're called to be in the world. You know, we're called to go and speak to the unsaved, and you're absolutely right, we are. But we're called to do that with the protection of God around us. We're called to do that with the Holy Spirit. And when we go, we should look different, we should be different, because we are different. We are set apart for God's purpose. You know, the Greek equivalent of Ruach in the New Testament is pneuma, from which we get the words pneumatic and even pneumonia, speaking of difficulty to breathe and fluid in the lung. Pneuma implies a wind in motion and is a Greek word most often used to describe the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. Remember the upper room experience. All the disciples, Mary, the mother of Jesus and others, about 120 in all, And then suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a mighty rushing wind. The word there is pneuma. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting in Acts 2.2. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and the church was birthed 
as Acts 2.41 tells us, when Peter spoke boldly on that day and 3,000 were added to the church. But wait, there's more. Acts 2 and verse 47 tells us that the Lord added to the church daily new followers of Christ every day. That's because of the Holy Spirit, not because of some wonderful sermon that Peter preached. It was about the presence of the Holy Spirit. It was about the Word of God going forth and touching the hearts of men and women. But wait, there's more. Acts 4.4. However many of those who heard the Word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. You see, when we're willing, when we're faithful, when we allow the Holy Spirit to be our guide, when we are bold in our faith and our witness, the results are supernatural. Check it out. 3,000, then some daily, then 5,000. But just like those ads say on TV, wait, there's more. Acts 5 and 14 says, And believers were increasingly added to the Lord multitudes of both men and women. Multitudes. Now that's fruitfulness. That's abundance. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Church, that same Holy Spirit that came on the day of Pentecost in the upper room and continued to operate in the lives of the early Christians lives inside every believer every day, 24-7. Pastor Tark has reiterated on numerous occasions that we are all full-time preachers of the gospel and we should endeavor to live our lives in that way. Just as Peter was a fisherman who spoke boldly under the power of the Holy Spirit, so too can we. And not necessarily in words. A cake to a sick neighbor, a kind word, a smile, or even maybe a random act of kindness to a stranger. You know, a few weeks ago, I read in the Northern Advocate of a man who went into a coffee shop in Kirikiri, and he placed $160 on the counter, and he said, when people come in for coffee, can you take the cost of that out of this money until it runs out? And he left. He didn't even get a coffee himself. Paying it forward, it's called. Giving without knowing the beneficiary of your kindness. Just giving because you can and want to. And in our case, because we're Holy Spirit inspired to do so. I'm told there's even a movie based on the practice. A Spirit-directed, God-inspired demonstration of the breath of life within you. Within every born-again follower of Jesus. And what better example of paying forward than our Lord himself. You know, 2,000 years ago, Jesus hung on a cross at Calvary. He'd been beaten, scorned, ridiculed, flogged. His appearance, the Bible tells us, was unrecognizable. The King of kings and the Lord of lords, whose earthly life serves as the perfect example of the Christian life, our lives. He was the ultimate sacrificial lamb of God, who by his suffering paid our sin debt, past, present, and future. Through his death and resurrection, we too will be raised to eternal life, to spend eternity with him. Romans 5 and verse 8 says, God demonstrated his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And John 3 verse 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Now that's what I call paying it forward. You know, John 20 and verse 22 says, The risen Christ himself breathed on his disciples and said, receive the Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit which descended on Jesus as he was being baptized in the Jordan River by John the Baptist. 
You know, recently our whanau had to travel down to Atiamuri, which is between Taupo and Tokoroa for a tangi. And we left the far north, it was 17 degrees. We drove to Auckland, the temperature was 12 degrees. We went south to the par at Ungaroto, and we arrived at 9pm on what we later found was the coldest night of the year. Stepping out of our air-conditioned campers, we immediately felt the freezing chill in the air, and the temperature, well, that was a bone-chilling minus one degrees at nine o'clock at night. So we all rugged up, as you do, headed into the par, and several several hours later, when we were making our way back to bed, the ice was thick on the cars in our campers, and the temperature was now minus three. The next morning, I opened the door of the camper van to be greeted by a white landscape. And there on the frozen ground were my mukul, playing, running, enjoying themselves in a way most of them had never done before. And there was Wayaria with her sandals on, loving every minute of the frozen ground. As I watched them running around, I could see the breath coming from their mouths as they played, like, like a, a steam train, a constant puff. The more they ran, the hotter they got, the more their breath steamed out of their mouth. And as I already had this message on my heart, I drew this analogy, an analogy of our lives and the Holy Spirit within. As followers of Christ, we're called to be the salt and light of the earth. Just as the breath of my mokos was visible and tangible, the same should be true in our lives. When people look at you or I, do they see the breath of life pouring out of us, out of you, out of me? the Holy Spirit alive and well, or are we just the same? Are we just the same as everyone else, operating at the same temperature, comfortable, not exerting ourselves too much, with no physical or tangible evidence of the breath of life, the Holy Spirit working in and through us? Just a thought to ponder. A few weeks ago in Auckland, we went to Sunday services at Church Unlimited, uh, after we dropped off the camper vans. And Pastor Tark's message that day was on living within God's boundaries. You know, you can, you can um, get all of those on the Church Unlimited app. And if you don't have it on your phone, I encourage you to download it. And during the week, just have a look. Just see what the Lord is saying to our senior pastor. See what God is putting on his heart for Church Unlimited. Because that's our direction, that's our guidance, that's our leadership. Anyway, Pastor Tark's message was on living within God's boundaries, and now the Bible is explicit about when it comes to how how we should live our lives. There's no gray areas as such. Everything's pretty black and white. And that's whether we like it or not. The boundaries are clearly defined. The issue is not whether we know what we should be doing, how we should be living, how we should be who we should be living for. But rather, the question that begs an answer is always how. How do we do it? How? How can we live that way? How can we be all that God's called us to be? How can we operate totally and always within God's boundaries? Well, first the bad news. And putting it as simply as I can, we can't. We can't. You can't. I can't. And now the good news, he can. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 17 and 18 tells us this. 
Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, freedom. The fact is, we can be free from all of those things in Him. It's His Spirit that makes the difference. It goes on to say, but we all, that's all of us, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Church, we are being transformed from glory to glory. God tells us here that we don't have a veil over our eyes, that we can see Jesus. We can see just like looking in a mirror, not a reflection of us, but a clear image of Him, what He looks like, and no distortion. So before we are transformed, we can see what we are being called to be transformed into. Let the life of Christ be the light for us, the role model of a life worthy of living. Then let us be transformed from glory to glory. In my case, from a testimony to a testimony. We are all works in progress and always have been. And just a tip, FYI, we always will be. Until he returns, we are all works in progress. You know, after the New Zealand and Beyond Conference, and I hope you're all registering for that next year, this year now, after the New Zealand and Beyond Conference, Pastor Wayne Cordero shared a message which was titled, Little by Little. And so it is with us. Our part is simply, really, grow in Him little by little from glory to glory. When you made the decision to give your life to Christ and ask Him in faith to come into your heart to be your Lord and Savior, guess what He did? No ifs, no buts, no maybes, He did. Galatians 3 and verse 14 tells us that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Gentiles, now that's me and you, non-Jews. But when we accept Jesus, we become grafted into the family of God and inherit the promises of God through Abraham that we should be exceedingly fruitful. Receiving the Holy Spirit requires us to have faith. But more than that, we should demonstrate our ongoing faith and commitment to Christ in the way we live our lives. Colossians 3.17 instructs us that wherever, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. And 2 Corinthians 5.20 is a real challenge for us and a reminder. It tells us now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. An ambassador is a representative of a country, a kingdom, some state, who's based in another place. And their role is to represent their own leadership. So it is with us. We're in the world. We're placed there to represent His kingdom. We're placed there to represent, most importantly, the King, Jesus Christ. An ambassador carries the message of his kingdom to others wherever he or she is called to serve. They do not create the message. They are not the authors. They are the messengers, entitled and empowered to deliver whatever their leaders prescribe. Just as Moses was an ambassador of God and his word, so too are we called to be. Despite the challenges, despite the hardships, cost, time, friends, finances, relationships favor, just like Moses, there may always be someone better in our opinion. And to be fair, our perspective may be right as we look through our lenses. 
We may identify all the reasons why that's not a bit of me, but a word of warning. The enemy wants nothing more than to sow all those seeds of doubt and dissension. The enemy wants to keep us from receiving and enjoying the blessings that God has for each and every one of us. Remember, we are sons and daughters and therefore heirs to the kingdom. Turn to your neighbor and tell them right now you are a prince or a princess. You are sons and daughters of the king. And finally, you are inheritors of all that God has for you. You know, Philippians 4 and verse 19 is a verse often quoted, and we should remember it. It says, And my God shall supply all your need according to His riches in glory. Do you recognize that need is in the singular? It's not a need. It's need forever, ongoing, all of the time, whenever, wherever, and whatever. Whatever you need, His riches will be the source of your supply. Hallelujah. Now, you may be saying to yourself, cool, we just let the Spirit lead me. Everything will be okay. The breath of life is in me. It's all good. God's going to meet my every need from His abundant supply. It's all over, over. No. Sadly, no. We must always remember that there is an enemy. I recently read a book by Pastor Jensen Franklin, and it's called The Spirit of Python. In it, Pastor Franklin uses the analogy of a python to describe the enemy, Satan, the father of lies, the devil. You see, a python has a specific way of taking out its prey. It has a specific way of killing its victim. The python doesn't bite. It doesn't inject poison. It coils around its victim and squeezes and it just keeps on squeezing. Every time the victim exhales just a little, even the tiniest amount, the python squeezes just a little tighter. Making it impossible in the end to replace the air in the victim's lungs. And inevitably, as I said at the start, no breath, no life. You know, the enemy adopts similar plans to attack us, me and you, all of us. We are all targets of the enemy. He wants to coil himself around us and wait for the opportunity to squeeze. The enemy offers endless distractions and interests that can draw us away from him and draw us away from God and diminish or reduce the effect of our breath of life, the Holy Spirit within us, the Holy Spirit operating in our lives. Every time we let a little more of the Spirit within go, the enemy squeezes, offers us alternatives, a reason to reduce our relationship with God. Less time, less finance, less fellowship, less prayer, less of His Word, and ultimately less of Him, and more of the world. But all, all and always with such realistic, acceptable and reasonable reason, I can't pray today. I've got to go to... I've got a meeting at, oh, I can't really afford that this week. They're all real to us at the time, and they're all the opportunity for the spirit of Python to squeeze a little tighter. Just like the Python, the enemy will force the breath of life from you 
as he seeks your spiritual death. As the musicians come, I just want to end with a few thoughts for us to consider. Just as oxygen or air is critical to our life in the physical, so the breath of life is critical to our spiritual survival and our growth. The Bible tells us that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He comes to steal your love. He comes to kill your joy. He comes to destroy your peace. These are the first three fruits of the Spirit. And they should be the evidence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, within each and every one of us. You know, these things should be seen by all around us. And yet the enemy wants to take them away from us. So how do we protect ourselves from the attack of the enemy? Joshua, that great leader, warrior, and champion of God, instructed the tribes of Israel in Joshua 22 and verse 5, to love the Lord your God, to walk in all His ways, to keep His commandments, to hold fast to Him, and to serve Him with all your heart and all your soul. Today, nothing has changed. Those words are as relevant today as they were when Joshua spoke them thousands of years ago. First, love God. We're called to love God, just as we would love our earthly Father, even more so can we love our heavenly Father, who is perfect in every way. Second, walk in His ways. You know, God says that He provides a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. He's given us direction. All we have to do is walk in it. Third, be obedient. The Bible tells us every day if we read it, what He expects of us, what He wants for us. Fourth, trust. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. He knows what you need. And best of all, He has it for you. Fourth, trust in Him. You know, there is nothing, nothing else in which you can place your trust which will always be unshakable, irrevocable. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And finally, serve Him wholeheartedly in spirit and in truth. Don't allow the distractions and temptations of the world to keep you from your inheritance in Christ. Yours and the generations after you. You may be the first Christian in your family. God provides a surety that you will not be the last. If you walk in His will and His way, you can have changed generationally the things that may have happened in your whanau, in your family, in your own life, with your children. There is nothing more powerful and there's no legacy greater than leaving a role model of faith in Christ for your children. I don't know where that came from. It's not written down. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. You know, this morning I want to give anyone here who doesn't have a personal relationship with Jesus the opportunity to take Him as their personal Lord and Savior. And I can tell you, He's ready, He's willing, and He's definitely able to change your life forever. This is your time. This is your moment. 
This is your time to ensure your salvation and your eternal future. Let's all stand, church.